0: Right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. Mintmobile.com switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here for Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: I was told to keep quiet about the story, but I can't. I need explanations. To begin, I'm ex-Special Forces. I was a British Army commando after serving as an artillery officer. A lot of my training consisted of forest or jungle survival and got me interested in nature, but Britain didn't have any truly wild forests, so I was left wanting more. A few years later, a transfer opportunity opened up to the United States, so I took it excited by the potential forests to trek through. Long story short, the program I was working on was suspended due to an intelligence cock-up, so I got six months of paid leave and met up with my friend, who was a park ranger. I'm not giving his actual name or of the park for reasons, so everyone or place names have been altered. Let's call him Jim. We were hanging out at his cabin with his colleague Nick. I was telling them stories of my time on tour in the Middle East when the radio in the cabin goes off. Jim comes out with a serious face and tells Nick to get mounted up for a search and rescue, he. He asks if I want to come, so I agree and got suited up in my combat uniform. I had nothing else, as I thought I would only be a couple hours. We arrive at a clearing with 40 other people. We were informed that a boy and girl were missing from their beds in a family cabin. This seemed odd to me, and recently becoming a father, I understood how important it was to find them. We left in a party of seven and armed to the teeth, as there were bears around and we didn't have time to mess around. We searched for hours and nothing turned up. It was getting dark, and we began to head back to my eight-seater Land Rover, and I noticed something off in the dark. It was set of stairs. I asked Jim, what the hell are they doing out here? His response was just, keep going. Not in a menacing tone, but in a strict tone that a parent would use in a fire drill or something. But when he flicked off the safety of his rifle, I knew something was up. We got back to the Land Rover and started off back to the clearing during the ride I was told to never tell anyone what I saw. We got back and I was told to stay by the truck just in case another group found them as my truck was the same type that were used as military ambulances in the 50s and out of all the vehicles was the most suitable for the job. Jim and Nick got out and the others just stayed in packing medical and food supplies on the truck. Fifty feet in front of me was the leader of the search party. I never paid any attention to his rank or whatever it's called and He and Jim were talking, and he turned, looked at me, and nodded, at which I confidently nodded back. Minutes later, Jim and Nick returned, at which I asked him what was the talk about Jim said. It was about how lucky we are to have special forces with us, and it should be a bit easier. But I knew it was about the stairs I saw in the woods. Hours passed in the truck waiting for the call to provide assistance, though we get it from another park ranger, twenty miles north of the cabin, who said he found an abandoned shoe belonging to a kid. We rushed out there and met up with the ranger and searched the near woods. The trees were tall and thick with foliage, so our torches had to be powerful to pierce the leaves and branches of trees. Jim shouted us over, saying there's something here as we approach. We found that it was blood, thick, glossy blood. I would to say I've seen my share of gory death. I've had close friends blown up, and even a guy I trained with got captured and brutally tortured to death, but the scene that lay before me will haunt me for life. Both the boy and girl were impaled onto the tree by the branches, their lower halves were gone, and innards were strewn across the tree. The strangest part was there were sixty feet up in the tree. I've never returned, and will never but the stairs and the children's bodies were connected. Somehow, and I need some closure, because the rangers still to this day refuse to talk about them. I hope the anonymity of the Internet will change that. Please help me get the answers I need. Once I went biking and camping in the Masurian Lakes District in Poland, except a few ports full of tourists, it's quite a remote place and you can ride for lots of miles through forests without meeting anyone. So me and my ex-boyfriend had a map of campsites in the area and moved from one to another. Usually those were typical campings, with staff electricity, etc. But sometimes we slept in abandoned sites, which was pretty creepy. Anyway, one day we decided to go to this campsite by the lake my boyfriend visited when he was a kid. We even found online that it was still open and hoped it'll be fine. Previously, boyfriend told me of an old Prussian cemetery in the forest nearby and that some of the graves were open so you can see human bones. I was scared as hell, but thought it'll be okay if there are people around. So we go there, but it turns out there's no road to this place, and we have to cross some fields on the way there, leaving nearest buildings more than four miles behind. Meanwhile, there's a storm coming from the opposite side of the lake. When we get there, everything's in complete ruin. There was some food left, as if someone didn't care about finishing it. The buildings of the campsite were deliberately destroyed. Even the pier was taken out of the water remnants of the campsite just floating around. I was really scared and wanted to get back, but my boyfriend walked around and said it'll be fine. So with all the destruction around, there was a portable toilet just standing there like no one cared to take it away. It was closed. I approached it and heard wailing from inside. It was very loud and sounded like a human crying, but without any words. I ran to my boyfriend and said I'm really scared. He told me it was just the wind, but after approaching the toilet, he admitted it did sound like a human. We tried knocking and asking if everything was okay, but all we heard were those crying noises. We even tried to open the thing, but it was like someone was holding it from the inside and crying louder and sadder. There was also an empty beer bottle in front of the toilet, like someone entered it and someone else put a bottle by the door. As you can expect, we got more scared every minute with the storm and the forest and the graveyard and this wailing, so we just ran away from there. My dad once told me how he and a couple of buddies were hunting in the deep New Zealand bush and suddenly stumbled into a small area where the bush or shrub had been all squashed down. It quickly got really weird as they noticed that something really large had moved from there, like just thrashing or forcefully crashing its way through the bush. It got ship freaky as they also noticed that there was massive amounts of fresh, i.e. wet. Blood accompanying the trail of broken bush. Apparently we're talking about heaps of blood like Jesus Christ. Surely whatever made this is bleeding out and lying dead just around the corner. They kept tracking this thing for ten, fifteen minutes expecting to find. The largest bush mammal we have here is deer and there are no large predators here. So they keep tracking and suddenly the blood or crash trail abruptly stops. All signs of bush crashing and heavy bleeding come to a sudden and unexplained end. This was deep in uninhabited bush, and still, to this day, there is no logical answer, for so much recent blood loss and no explanation for it. Needless to say, they were all really creeped out. I work on the search and rescue team, and I have a very interesting case to share with you. I know I'm not allowed to normally discuss this stuff, but I believe that this missing case might be the work of an alien abduction. It all began when I received a frantic call from a mother about her missing daughter. They were camping just outside of Bend, Oregon. I rushed to meet them at their campsite. The family had been staying there for a few days, and on that particular morning, the mother and father went down to the river while their daughter climbed into one of the riverside trees to get a better view of the scenery. That was the last anyone saw of her. She disappeared without a trace. The mother frantically searched for her, but there was no sign that she had fallen or ever come down from where she was. The family became grief, stricken, and panicked, finally calling us for help. We searched all around the area for any clues, but couldn't find anything. The whole day passed, and as evening approached, we expanded our search party, but still there was no trace of her. Even the dogs couldn't pick up on her scent. Eventually, the helicopter located her about 12 miles north of the location where she had gone missing. Miraculously, she was completely fine, unharmed, and unscathed. The dogs helped lead us to her, but when we found her, she was in a state of complete and utter terror. She was rocking back and forth, murmuring strange things. We asked if she was okay, but she didn't reply. She was taken back to her family, but her expression remained unchanged. She never gave us any concrete answers about what had happened to her, just murmuring about being taken and not being allowed to leave. It was puzzling how she had traveled such a distance in such a short amount of time. The terrain between her and where she was found was rough and challenging, yet she was unscathed in her outfit and flip-flops. It simply didn't make any sense. I can't help but think that something extraordinary happened to her, and part of me wants to believe it was alien. It's the only thing that seems to explain everything. But of course I could be wrong. We may never know the truth behind what happened that day but the poor girl was clearly frightened by something or someone that took her and transported her over a vast distance in the blink of an eye i remember this being back in 2012 i was on patrol along the mississippi river just outside of st louis The area I was patrolling is considered one of the most haunted areas in all the United States. We get a lot of reports from people who see things like ghosts and whatnot. So at about 4 a.m., dispatch received a call from a frantic lady who was talking about seeing a man with glowing red eyes and huge fangs coming out of the woods towards her house. Now, this woman specifically was known to be on medications that cause paranoia and schizophrenia. So we initially thought it might have been some kind of hallucination brought on by her medication. But she sounded panicked, telling us there might actually be something going on, and so we had to check it out. We arrived at the area she called from, a lone gravel road leading to an old farmhouse. As we got closer, I began getting this odd feeling like something bad was about to happen. When we got up to the house, you could see something or somebody appearing to be huddled behind an old tree stump near some bushes. But since it was dark, you couldn't make out who or what it was until we got close. As we got close enough, I could finally see who, or rather what, it was. At first, all I saw were two green eyes staring back at me with an expression that seemed like terror. I couldn't exactly tell what it was other than it wasn't human but looked like some sort of a or monkey. That's when it stood up, and it was easily nine feet tall, looking like this thing could have attacked somebody and destroyed us. Its long brown hair kind of flung off its body, and it had pointed ears on top of its head. But what really caught me off guard, initially hiding behind the stump, was its long snout and large fang. I thought this might have been some sort of rabid bay or something, but I have never been filled with so much terror before in my life. This thing jumps up in the tree instantly, and then leaps back toward us in a pouncing motion, swiping one of its claws. A second one of these creatures steps out of the woods right by where the first one attacked and begins to run towards us. My partner and I fire a couple of shots as these things give chase, and we quickly dart back to our vehicle. They all dart off back into the swamps. We had to go get back up, and we realized that this situation wasn't safe. This was not the last time that we encountered what we like to call the wolves of the Everglades. In fact, there's a much longer version, which I'll probably share with you in separate email. But for now, I don't think these creatures are innocent. I believe that this woman was not just on her medication— These things were truly trying to break into her house, and who knows what they would have done to her. How they got in remains a mystery. The crisp autumn air enveloped us as we set out for an elk hunting expedition near Mount Hood during the October, November season our group had gathered at the Bear Springs Ranger Station, ready for the thrill of the hunt. Little did we know that this expedition would forever alter our perception of the wilderness. We ventured towards the McQuinn Strip, in addition to the warm Springs Reservation, eager to find elusive elk amidst the breathtaking landscape. As we made our way through the ridges, we stumbled upon a sight that left us in awe and fear— about eight hundred yards away in a peaceful meadow, two towering figures caught our attention, two big feet as astonishing as they were mythical. To our disbelief, these enigmatic creatures had taken down an elk and were voraciously feasting on their hard earned prey. It was an extraordinary and surreal sight, one that sent shivers down our spines. As we observed from a safe distance through our rifle scopes, more big feet emerged from the brush three of them towering at around seven feet tall and one smaller, standing at about five feet. Our hearts pounded as we realized the danger we were inadvertently in. These creatures had effortlessly brought down a massive elk, and we couldn't help but wonder if we might end up as their next meal. With great caution, we made the unanimous decision to retreat, not daring to provoke the unknown. On our way back Uncle Sam, a seasoned hunter, shared intriguing encounters that his friend and he had experienced with Big Feet in the past. One story involved Big Feet herding deer, showcasing their intelligence and cunning as they secured their food source. In another chilling tale Uncle Sam recounted a close call when he and his companion had to relinquish a deer they had hunted after a Bigfoot claimed it as its own. The creature's aggressive display left them no choice but to retreat, relinquishing their hard-earned prize. Uncle Sam explained that many Native Americans, including himself, hesitated to share such experiences with outsiders, fearing ridicule due to what he called the chuckle barrier. Their respect for nature and the unknown often led them to keep their encounters secret, safe within the circle of their own community. As we reflected on these stories, another intriguing account emerged. A Bigfoot displaying astounding speed, chasing down a deer and breaking its spine. It was becoming increasingly clear that these creatures possessed abilities beyond our understanding. Our elk hunting expedition had transformed into an extraordinary encounter with the mysterious and mythical beings that roamed the wilderness. From that moment on, the vast mountains held secrets we could not fathom, and the allure of the unknown in the heart of the warm springs, reservation, left an indelible mark on our souls. Earlier this year, me and friend toured Chernobyl in the abandoned city of Pripyat. Part of our three days, there was a trip to a children's pioneer camp. It's in the middle of nowhere. One road in, one road out. Anyway, the camp has all these wooden huts covered in the Soviet equivalent of Disneyland characters and is eerily quiet like the rest of the Exclusion Zone. My friend, myself, and our tour guide had been exploring the old huts for about half an hour, finding occasional remnants of summer's past, old beds, desks, lamps, posters, etc. Just the three of us, miles from anyone else. Or so we thought. As I turned around taking a 360-degree video, I see a guy creeping out from behind one of the huts I've just walked past, about ten meters behind me. When he saw that I spotted him following me, he scurried back. I had no idea who this was, nor did our guide. A little afterwards, I saw the same guy walking with who I thought was our guide. He was wearing camouflage fatigues like our guide. But it wasn't actually him. Turned out there were actually two of them. The other one apparently had an axe. We left pretty soon after. How they got in there? Remember, there is a 30-mile exclusion zone around Chernobyl. And what they were doing, I have no idea. A few years ago, myself and a bunch of climber buddies were camping out in a well-known climbing area in Tennessee. It's not really that backwoods at all, but you feel very remote. The area is beautiful and the forest is thick the climbing ain't bad. One night it was an especially cold and calm new moon. There was no wind at all and it had rained recently, so the leaves were wet and didn't crunch underfoot. We had the fire going late into the night, not wanting to go to our freezing tents. Anyone who has sat around the campfire knows that feeling you get when the last flame dies and all you have left is an empty timber pile and the warm glow of the cold. At that exact moment when the last flame went out, we started to hear someone in the parking area tuning up a fiddle. That's not so weird, right? We're in rural Tennessee after all. After a few moments of tuning, the player breaks out in full song. It was incredibly beautiful and the sound carried perfectly through the still air. My heart was on fire. I wanted to meet the man playing this wonderful music in the dark. I told my buddies I was going to go find the guy and ask if I could play with him for a song or two. Let me remind you, it was very cold. There's no way I could have played for more than a song, but this person played for a few by the time I got up. My friends never said a word to me, never warned me not to go, never said it was a good idea, didn't even look at me. They just listened. I knew the area well, and made my way to the parking area by instinct, following the music. As my foot transitioned from the leaves to the gravel in the parking area, the music stopped mid-measure. My heart rate spiked. I stood still for only a moment before I turned on my headlight, which had been off, despite the new moon, so I could save what little night vision I had in these conditions. There was no one there. I looked around the parking lot, and all I saw were our cars. I ran as fast as I could back to our tents to tell everyone what happened, but they were all asleep. I know it was just some mountain mane messing with us, but to this day, my friends won't talk about it. I'm not really a believer in ghosts. But let me just say that right now, however, I saw something that I cannot explain one night while working the night shift as a ranger. I was patrolling a very wooded area, a very popular camping spot. This was in central Illinois. I won't tell you the park name. It's always been weird to me because this place is usually packed during the day, but at night it's different. Not that many campers stay overnight here. So this was right around 1.00. 30 in the morning, and I just started my second round of patrolling, and I see this tall, dark figure standing near an old cabin on one of the trails. For whatever reason, I thought it was a mannequin somebody had left out here for a prank just because of the way it looked and how still it was. I got closer and realized I was wrong in my judgment. It was moving very slowly, though, but as soon as I shined my light on it, it didn't have a face. No eyes, no nose, no mouth, nothing. It was just this dark silhouette with what appeared to be arms and legs and looked just like a human, only in shape. Of course, it was completely black. The figure also appeared to have some sort of cloak or cape draped over him or her. So obviously I'm trying my best not to panic. My mind is racing with possible explanations for this thing. Perhaps some mischievous college students dressed in cloaks playing a prank. Perhaps I'm hallucinating. Either way, it's creeping me out, and I want no part of whatever this thing is. But before I can turn around and walk away, or run for that matter, this thing picks up speed and begins to run towards me. This thing gets about 20 feet from me and leaps up about 30 feet into the air. Up into the trees like some sort of wild animal. And now I'm freaking out, and panic is setting in. I'm obviously not dealing with a regular person. This is something else entirely. And like some wild, crazy animal, it's jumping around on all fours from tree to tree, following me, keeping parallel with me as I'm running back to my truck. I run as fast as my legs could take me, but found myself near the campground's entrance, where I made a break for my truck, jumping inside and locking the door behind. I just sat there in silence for about three to five minutes, trying to catch my breath, thinking to myself, I hope that thing leaves. I was too afraid to even shoot at it, and I had no idea how am I ever going to report this. I mean, number one, who's going to believe me, and number two, my up, aboves are probably going to mock me and ridicule me. I could even lose my job if I reported such a thing, or maybe they even speculate that I was on drugs. So I kind of just sat there and sank in my seat, not sure how I should go about telling about this. This was easily one of the creepiest and most paranormal things I've ever experienced on the job. I never saw it again after that, thank God. It has been a long time since I had wanted to tell someone about what I saw. Someone who would be willing to believe me and not judge me. It's been many years ago, but I remember it as if it was yesterday. I was at work in Greensboro, North Carolina. Lunchtime came and I left for my friend's house in Allen Ye, High Point. In any case, it was an early spring day about twelve fifteen p.m. on a beautiful day. As I recall, it was 1992. As I turned down that on the way to my friend's house, actually I was almost there. As I drove, everything was fine. All of a sudden there was an eight, nine feet human, like being maybe even taller, standing on the left side of my car on the side of the road. I couldn't believe my eyes. I slowed down to look up at it, and it was very tall. The eyes were large and shaped like the normal cat's eyes we see for aliens. He was so black and dark. His cloak, as it appeared to me, came up and it seemed like he had on a toboggan type cap. But again, it was so black that it melted in together with the cloak. It was skinny and his eyes were shiny, very thin and tall. No hands or feet were visible. He was just standing there staring straight at something. As I drove by, I kept looking in my mirror at what I was seeing. All of a sudden, it turned and looked at me. Now the road I was on is hilly with up and down small hills. I was so fascinated by what I saw, I wanted to come back. I never took my eyes off the humanoid, as I could see just a little of him. As I turned around, I still had a visual of the humanoid. As I whipped my car around, maybe three... Four seconds with my eyes not on the being, I realized he was past me. I was scared, but also fascinated. I think the only person who believed in me was my friend. I told her and took several shots of tequila at her house, which never fazed me. She said when I came flying through her door, my face was very white and she knew something was wrong. I tried to calm down before returning to work. I would have never seen another one, but I have seen mysterious things on the North Carolina coast where I go. Haven't seen a Bigfoot, but I had two unbelievable experiences in 2017. The first experience happened at a campground. I was awakened around 4 a.m. by howling coyotes. About three seconds after the coyotes started howling, there was an erupting roar that sounded like it was coming from all sides and completely drowned out the coyotes. It was so loud and powerful that I could feel the vibrations coming up through the ground through my sleeping bag. Clearly nothing I've ever heard before. I've heard others describe hearing a roaring sound from these creatures, coupled with the fact that I have studied this mystery for so long I knew right away that it had to be Bigfoot. This roar was so loud that the creature couldn't have been more than a hundred yards from me, which is quite strange in itself, because one side of the campground is a pretty busy road, but nonetheless the area in general of this campground is surrounded by forest. The second experience happened thirty days later. It was not far from where the first experience occurred, This time, I stayed at a second campground that was much more secluded and deeper in the forest. It was around 6 p.m., and I and other campers were standing together, talking about the hiking we had done earlier that day. Other people were out and about getting campfires started. Also, there was a campground host who walked around introducing himself with a clipboard, making sure people had paid and joined in the conversation. It was at this time that, all of a sudden, roughly fifty-yard, uphill on a ridge overlooking the campground, a tree came crashing down. Moments after the tree hit the ground, I and all the others standing around talking, heard what can only be described as a loud guttural grunt. This is the kind of grunt you would hear from a silverback gorilla. All of us were startled and asked each other what the heck fell that tree and made that deep guttural grunt sound. One of the other campers even mentioned it was probably Bigfoot. The other campers laughed, but I didn't think it was too funny. This is because if one of those creatures was nearby, we might face a very dangerous situation. Thankfully, nothing happened after that, but here is where the story gets really weird. At the back of this campground is a dirt road. This road can be used for hiking or traveling during the hunting season. One of my favorite things to do when backpacking or camping is wake up early get a fire started and have a delicious hot cup of coffee i got up that morning around 6 a.m got my fire started and fresh coffee made as i'm sipping coffee out of the dirt road at the back of the campground comes this white suv completely blacked out it has a huge sticker of a patty silhouette stuck to the back window Me being the believer in the existence of these creatures, I have a few similar stickers on my back window, so I took what I saw as a friendly visit from a fellow Bigfoot enthusiast. I casually walked up and said hello and saw if there was anything we could discuss regarding creature activity in the area. As I approached, the SUV driver rolled his window down about halfway, and I immediately noticed something odd. First, there were two guys in the SUV— and they were both dressed in full tack gear. They had two AR-15s on a gun rack at the back of the interior, with both gentlemen wearing military-style boots, pistols at the ankles, black beanies, and sunglasses. I mean, these guys were completely decked out like a law enforcement officer would be, but there was no badge, just complete tack dress from head to toe. I then playfully asked, are you guys looking for Bigfoot? The driver of the SUV then said to me, Why do you ask? I replied, I see the Bigfoot sticker at the back of your vehicle. I have a couple of those on the back window of my car also. The reply I received is very strange. The driver just looked at me without saying anything, and then the passenger guy, in a very stuttering kind of manner, said it's just a practical joke sticker from my girlfriend. After that response, the driver then stepped on the gas, and out of the campground they went. I just find it odd that there is a perfectly healthy tree being pushed over by a gorilla-like grunt. Then these two tacked, or possible military guys, show up the next morning out of nowhere driving a blacked-out SUV with an oversized Sasquatch sticker on the back window. Very odd, in my opinion. And that's it. It. Driving to Anchorage from Fairbanks is a long haul with huge stretches of wilderness and nothing in between. A few towns, but the majority is mountains and plains. In a specific pass, me and my girlfriend at the time saw a floating upside-down metallic V-shaped figure hovering in the sky. It would disappear, reappear, and show up in random spots. This is an area with no people and no scientific equipment whatsoever, this thing was high enough to be a flying object, but low enough to be seen by us. We stopped the car and stared as it, as it zigzagged in height and distance from us for about 20 minutes, and then it just faded away. It never returned, and to this day we have no idea what the fit was. I've talked to people with similar reports in the same area, I was driving through the deserts of New Mexico alone at night. I had been on the road for a while at this point. It was pitch black outside. There was, and I stress this, nothing around. I was probably fifty miles or so from the nearest town or rest stop in either direction. At the time, I was listening to some tunes on Spotify that I had saved to my phone earlier, as I knew my traveling would take me through dead zones in the Midwest. Suddenly, I hear static over the song. I check my connection to the headphone port on my phone and my radio. Seems fine. The static persists for a few seconds, and then stops just as suddenly. Odd, I think, but shrug it off. Just some sort of electronic interference. Even though I'm clearly using a hard-wired audio input. It's at this point I realize that my song had stopped playing, and it's now dead quiet in my car aside from the hum of my CRV's little four-cylinder. Then out of the blue, I hear whispering coming through my speakers. Multiple voices think of the whispers in the show lost. I can't make out what they're saying, but I am petrified. Suddenly the whispering stops for a second and I hear a child laugh. More static on the radio and what sounds like a man speaking slowly. Then it was over. My tunes came back on. Every hair on my body was stood on end at this point, white knuckle grip on my wheel, and I added on about thirty miles per hour and noped the F out of whatever burial ground or dimensional rift I had just driven through. I don't believe in the supernatural at all, and it's likely that I was tired enough to have imagined the whole event, but that doesn't detract from the power the experience had over me in the moment. Far and away, it was the creepiest thing I've ever experienced. Camping in the Sierra Nevadas a few weeks back when that wildfire was going on up at Wishon. Wake up at 2 a.m. for no reason. Lay my head back down and close my eyes until I hear blood-curdling screams echoing through the hills. I'm talking like the kind of sound that you never want to hear come from a human, kind of high-pitched and lots of fluctuation in it, like how your own voice cracks when you're yelling as loud and as hard as you can. This went on for like a minute and a half, two minutes somewhere in there. So at the time, I'm thinking that I'm hearing someone being attacked by a bear or something, but I was probably just hyping myself up over what was more than likely a fox or a big cat but still that was creepy as hell. Oh yeah, and that same night before going to bed I heard twigs being stepped on just outside of our campsite, maybe twenty yards out in the woods. I kept listening and when it didn't stop I grabbed a flashlight and waved it through the trees and I could have sworn that I saw something duck behind a tree, but I'm willing to admit that this was more than likely my mind playing tricks on me. I was about 10, 12 when it happened. Can't remember exactly. I was coming home from school, and as I entered my building, an unfamiliar man in a black jacket followed me inside and started walking up the stairs behind me. I wasn't spooked out because I had lots of neighbors and often saw people I didn't know. The thing was, I live in a flat that is in the very top part of the building, and no one else lives on that level. So when the man didn't stop by the last flat below mine, I was immediately alarmed. But being a 10 or 12-year-old, I didn't do or say anything and just kept nearing my flat, hoping that maybe he was an acquaintance of my parents. I don't recall exactly how I felt, but I know I was not nearly as terrified as I should have been. He was on the landing when I reached the door. I rang the bell and my sister opened. The moment the man saw that there was someone inside, he turned around without a word and started walking downstairs. Relieved as hell, I hurried inside. My sister, fifteen, seventeen at the time, noticed the man and asked who that was, and I just mumbled I didn't know. We never talked about it again and didn't even tell our parents. It was only some time later that I realized just how badly it could have ended, if the flat had been empty. This happened back in 2011 to my dad. His job involves a lot of travel, so he's almost always driving alone from sunrise to early dawn, daming on the time zone. When he stops at a restaurant around eight in the evening, he frequents. He places his things on a table and proceeds to the toilet. By the time he gets back to his table, he notices two servings of complimentary soup. He questions the staff why they place two bowls of soup when he's the only traveling. The staff puzzlingly replies that when my dad went to the toilet, a long-haired lady dressed in white exited the car and proceeded to the toilet as well. He just brushes it off, finishes his meal, and then continues with his travels, but not before one of the staff cautions him to be careful. While driving, a suddenly downpour obscures his vision, and just when he was about to make a curve, one of his front tires breaks off. Thankfully, he managed to control the car and manages to stop the vehicle, which was inches away from falling into a deep ravine. So it's 2 a.m., dark and raining really hard. He grabs a flashlight, searches for his tire, does some makeshift repairs, and hobbles the car to the nearest town for repairs. I don't know if the two events were related. When my dad told me about what happened, I immediate thought that he might have encountered a banshee. A spirit that heralds death. But it's a big world out there, who knows? When my wife and I were still dating, we took a road trip to the Ho rain forest in Olympic National Park in Washington State. We got there late in the day as the sun was setting and we were turned back because the campground was full. Since we didn't want to drive forever just to sleep in a motel, we drove back down the entrance road for a bit until we found the fire road and took that into the forest just outside the campgrounds. We drove down it for a few minutes until we came to a small clearing in the forest and set up camp, illegally, I'm sure in retrospect. If you've never been there, it looks like this there. About a half an hour later, another car did the same thing and pulled into our clearing— but since we were already camped there, they moved farther down the road. This happened a couple more times during the night and people either moved farther down the road or turned around to leave. About three in the morning, I hear my wife scratching on the tent wall just above our heads and I figure that she's trying to close the screen or something and I go back to sleep. A little while later, I hear her doing it again. So I look over at her in her arms or in her sleeping bag and in the almost pitch, black lighting, I can see that her eyes are wide open, and she's listening to the scratching sounds coming from outside. Very quietly, I roll over and lift my head up so I can hear the sound with both ears. I'm thinking it's a branch or something scraping the side of our tent, but we're in the middle of the small clearing with no trees, bushes, etc., right by our tent. I hear it again coming from right in front of my face, and all the hair stands up on the back of my neck. It's definitely scratching coming from outside the tent, and the scratching noise is spread out over a typical adult hand, span on the back of the tent like someone scratching with all their fingernails. I say loudly something like, I hear you out there. I am armed. A lie. The noise goes quiet, but I don't hear anyone or anything move away from the tent. Gathering my courage, I open the window flap zipper and shine my flashlight out into the gloom. Nothing is there. I look in front of the tent and stick my head out the door and look around. Nothing. So after a few more minutes, we are able to start falling back asleep, only to hear the scratching again right by our heads. I quickly unzip the window flap again and shut my flashlight out. Nothing except I hear the scratching again from just below the window like someone is laying down right next to the back of the tent. So I shine my flashlight down and see the largest spider I've ever seen trying to climb up the slippery walls of the tent. Its legs are spread out farther than I can spread my fingers. So I smack the back of the tent with my flashlight. The spider goes flying off into the night, and my girlfriend and I have a good laugh about it. It had been a year since the strange screams or yells echoed through the new construction development. The memory of that eerie night still lingered in the minds of those who had heard it. John and his wife, Sarah, were the first residents to move into their newly completed home in the peaceful neighborhood. The couple had brushed off the chilling encounter as a mere mystery until one fateful day. A related Bigfoot experience brought the memory rushing back. It was a warm evening, and John and Sarah were settling into their new life. The bedroom windows were left open to welcome the gentle breeze. As they were about to drift off to sleep, a series of blood-curdling sounds pierced the silence. The chilling cries started softly, then escalated into gut-wrenching screams before eventually fading away, only to return again. It was an unsettling sequence. Ah, repeated at the same tones, sometimes punctuated with eerie ahs. Tuzzled and concerned, John's initial assumption was that someone was in distress down at the cul-de-sac, a newly paved circle below their house, where a few houses were already under construction. That area had already become a popular make-out spot for high schoolers. He quickly put on his pants and slipped ons, instructing Sarah to call the police while he rushed to investigate. The cul-de-sac was about 200 yards away from their house, and as John drew closer, the source of the bizarre screams became clearer. To his surprise, there were no cars or teenagers around. Instead, the howls seemed to emanate from the dense green belt nearby, teeming with brush, blackberry bushes, and tall Douglas firs. The eerie cries persisted for several minutes before suddenly ceasing, leaving John with an eerie sense of unease. When the police arrived, John informed them about the haunting sounds he had heard. With flashlights in hand, they uh, ventured into the green belt to investigate, but nothing was found. The officers reassured John that they would check it out, but found no evidence or explanation for the unsettling experience. Feeling somewhat comforted, John returned to bed, trying to forget about the night's strange events. However, life seemed to have other plans. Over the following months, reports of Bigfoot sightings began to emerge from the Wallows or Blue Mountains on the eastern Washington, Oregon border. As more stories surfaced, the pieces of the puzzle began to fall into place for John. He couldn't help but wonder if the chilling screams he had heard that night were connected to these mythical creatures. Curiosity got the better of him, and John started to research Bigfoot sightings, finding stories and accounts that closely resembled the sounds he had heard. A year after the incident, he stumbled upon another person's related Bigfoot encounter that had taken place in the same region. This confirmation only intensified his conviction that What he had heard that night was indeed a glimpse into the elusive world of Bigfoot. From that day on, John found himself drawn to the mysteries of the unknown, seeking out more stories, eyewitness accounts, impossible explanations for the bizarre occurrence in his quiet neighborhood. As he delved deeper into the realm of Bigfoot lore, John couldn't help but marvel at the inexplicable wonders that existed beyond the realm of human comprehension. And so the night of the elusive howls became etched into his memory, forever connecting him to a world of cryptic secrets and unexplained wonders. I grew up in rural Michigan in a small ranch-style house with four brothers and a younger sister. We lived in the country with few neighbors and more woods and farmland around us than people. It was a Saturday morning in early fall. My parents were out jogging a few miles away from our house. This was back in early 2000, so no cell phones or way to communicate with them. My older brother was left in charge of all of us, which wasn't out of the ordinary. While my siblings sat inside watching cartoons, I headed outside to shoot my bow from the elevated platform that we shot 3D targets out of. This was my first year being able to hunt for big game with a bow as I was now 12 years old. I was excited for the season to start and shot as much as I could. Where I was shooting my bow was about 25 yards from the house, with several trees around the platform, which concealed my location. I had just shot my first round of three field points into the 3D buck target when I heard a loud slam coming from the house. At first, I didn't think anything of it, as my sibling are pretty rowdy and assumed they were just roughhousing. The second time I heard the slam, I realized the sound was coming from outside the house. This was odd to me because I had told my siblings I was going to be shooting my bow, and we have a strict policy of no playing in the yard if we're shooting. My father was very stern in this rule, and it was never broken. Peeking my curiosity, I peered through the tree branches. What I saw next made every hair on my body stand on end and sent a shiver of fear through my body. A disheveled man was on the side of our house and was fidgeting with the door handle and attempting to open the door and use his shoulder to get in. He twisted at the door handle and again slammed his shoulder into it. He had on a gray and black plaid coat that was unbuttoned and had a rip in the back. He had blood on his hands which smeared on the white door as he tried again to open it. His pinky and ring finger on his left hand were visibly deformed. His hair to his shoulders was gray, matted, down and unkept. He had dried blood on his face. His blue jeans were dirty, torn and wet. He tried to handle again, shoved on the door with his shoulder, and when it didn't budge, he stepped back. He looked around and looked in my direction. My heart pounded. I was frozen with fear, but felt confident he wouldn't see me as I was around ten feet off the ground, hidden in the leaves. Multiple thoughts went through my head as I tried to figure out what to do next. He was still trying to work the door handle as I lowered my bow down with the bow rope. Every so carefully and calculated, I climbed silently down the ladder to the ground. Once down, I picked up my bow, pulled an aluminum arrow tipped with a 85-grain thunderhead broadhead, broadhead broadhead out of the quiver, and again laid eyes on the strange bloodied man— I wanted to run up to the front of the house and try to get inside, but feared he would hear me pounding and come after me. There was no way to contact my family inside, and it appeared this man had an ill intent. Just when I was trying to decide what to do next, my oldest brother peered out the window 20 feet to the left and held up a piece of paper that said 911 and motioned for me to get back up in the shooting platform, as this strange man was, in between me and the safety of the house. I held my bow up, gesturing to him, should I use my bow and arrow? He shook his head and motioned for me to get back up in the platform. I took my broad head off, put it in the quiver, and again hooked it to the bow rope and snuck back up into the elevated perch. After the door hadn't budged, the torn and tattered man turned around and was wandering off back towards the driveway behind our house. I stayed in my position and watched him with the broad head once again, knocked on my string. My knees were shaking, my nose was running from the massive release of adrenaline, and my heart pounded. Just then I heard a car pull into our driveway. A two sheriff deputies stepped out of the car and came around the back of our house and shouted for the man to get on his knees with his hands behind his head. The two officers apprehended the man and placed him in the back of their squad car. I climbed down and sprinted into the house with my siblings, adrenaline still pumping through my body. Shortly after this, my parents had come back and the neighbors came over. Apparently, this guy was drunk at 7 a.m. and had driven his vehicle over the guardrail and into the creek by our house. Not wanting to get a DUI, he fled the scene. He wandered to the neighbor's house and had attempted to steal their car out of the garage, and when that failed, he went to the next house and tried to break into their company garage and steal a four-wheeler. When he was caught in the act, he ran into the woods and they had called the police. My brother informed me that the guy had tried to get into our house and knocked on the door and drunkenly fell back on the ground. When he asked to use the phone, we only had a phone with a cord and my brother would not let him use it and ask him to leave. The guy got agitated and then apparently tried the side door. Maybe he thought he was at a different house because he was so drunk he didn't realize he was at the same house. I'm not sure, but Seeing that guy bloodied and trying to break into my house with my siblings inside is still burned into my memory 20 years later. Early November, 1984. One Saturday, my friend calls me and says, get over here. I found a ton of grouse. My mom drops me off and we start hunting his neighbor's property with permission. We flushed nearly twenty grouse in an hour, shot one each. Most of these were bumping some of the same birds, I'm sure, but they were everywhere. I did not hunt with my dog that day, as Mom wouldn't allow her in the car. One week later, my uncle and his friend come out, as they always do, to hunt our property. I convinced them to go over to the place from last week. I call, get permission, and off we go. We pile out of the truck with my English setter and my uncle's Brittany. This is old growth woods, mostly oak and other mixed hardwoods, mature trees with grapevine tangles all over the place, old dead falls, etc. We are pushing out the north side of a long spur ridge that runs about a three mile in length. The plan is to get to an old gas well out on the point of the ridge and loop around the south side back to the truck. We pushed probably half of the way out the ridge, flushed a couple birds, and had a few tough shots. Suddenly there's a rile shot, clearly fired in our direction. We continue forward, not really thinking much of it, until a second shot, and then the impact of a bullet on a tree, between my uncle and I. My uncle yells out, and another shot follows. Another tree hit, bark flying. We can't see anything. We all yell again. Another shot and a bullet goes whizzing over my head. At that, we call in the dogs and back out and up to the top of the ridge. Pretty pissed, but realizing a couple 12 gauges loaded with six shot are not going to match up to a rifle very well, we get over the ridge and start down the other slope and back toward the truck. There is a rough service road that goes out along the top of the ridge to the wellhead. We were a good 70 five yards down the south slope and moving when we hear a vehicle. Off come the orange vests and hats and called back the dogs quickly. Leach them and I, for one was all but laying on my girl as she was 90% white. I was behind a huge old oak, but it felt awful small when the black van stopped directly above us. Out comes a guy with a rifle in his hands. He walks over and stands there looking down the hillside in our direction probably 75 yards away. After what felt like an eternity, he slowly walks to the rear of the van, looking our way, and then gets in and slowly drives away. We waited a while, then slowly worked our way back to the truck with vests and hats tucked inside our jackets. Dogs leashed. He got out of there okay and back to the house. I called the local state game officer as he lived only two miles away and was good friends with our family. He forwarded the information to the state police. They never found the van. That was a very terrifying experience, realizing that you could do nothing if confronted. Never saw the shooter until he got out of the van. And even at that distance, we were powerless. Since that day, I never leave the house with just bird shot. I take five slugs with me anytime I go out with just a shotgun. was hunting behind my house as a teenager. It was a quiet morning, just barely daylight, no wind or anything. I was sitting behind an old fallen oak tree, watching the squirrels play. And all of a sudden, the squirrels were gone, just out of nowhere. I knew that usually means that a predator is around. Coyotes were pretty bad that year, so I prepared myself to shoot a couple. Senses up and eyes on the lookout. I see something move way in the distance, so I eased my rifle up getting ready, and that's when I heard it. An extremely high-pitched scream sounded like a woman getting murdered, coming from the area that I saw something move. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was terrified. I looked out through the trees and saw what it was. About 75 yards away, it was a big black cat of some sort. It looked huge, even from that distance. I took my rifle off safety and sat there watching it. I didn't want to shoot it, for I didn't know if it was legal or not. I watched it for what seemed like hours listening to it growl and grumble, trembling the entire time. It finally disappeared deeper into the woods, and I noped right on out of there. Told my dad, who then called the game wardens, they said it sounded like a black-spotted leopard— I'm not 100% sure. That's the only time I've seen it. We heard it screaming one night a couple of years later. But after that, nothing. During the summer of 2013, I stayed at my parents' house in rural Illinois with my little sister while they were out of town. She was in my mid-teens at the time, and I was early 20s. We are both very interested in the paranormal and have discussed what else could be out there. This particular night, we were sitting in the dark in the living room. I turned all the lights off and we watched the lightning bugs outside the large windows, just casually talking. Out of nowhere, there was an unbelievably huge burst of orange light from outside. It lit up the entire downstairs as if I had turned the lights on. I'm talking about a nuclear explosion, bright. My immediate response was thinking that our house or the neighbor's house we were facing had caught on fire. We both ran out the side door, and that was it. We both have zero memory of what was outside, how long we were there, or what we did after returning in. We simply woke up the next morning in our beds, and oddly it took us both a few days to remember anything had happened. It wasn't too long after this that my sisters started having a memory or a vision of us walking out the side door, like we did that night, and seeing a large green orb at eye level in the middle of the driveway. That was it. That's all that happened, but it still bothers me today. We both found it especially odd because we had such a fascination with the idea of otherworldly life. If something happened to us, we would discuss it. We also don't understand how we could have seen that amount of light in the living room. We walked outside and then casually returned inside with no explanation for what had happened, only to not remember it until days later. If we were both sound of mind, it wouldn't have occurred like that. About a year after this happened, I decided to read the book Communion for the first time and came across one of the author's first experiences of being abducted. He recalled waking up to a huge orange glow coming through every window and being absolutely positive the house was on fire. I put down the book at that point and still haven't finished it because of the extreme unease it gave me. I recall my exact same reaction. I now believe that we were both abducted. I wonder if either of us will eventually recall more of the incident. That is what I fear most.